0: Watson is expected to be a member of the Cleveland Browns. Yes, the Cleveland Browns. In an unbelievable, stunning turn of events, Deshaun Watson is waving his no-trade clause only to the Browns, sources tell me and colleague Tom Pelissero. And that is not all. When this trade is completed, Watson is expected to get a five-year, $230 million contract that is fully guaranteed. That is $80 million more than the previous record for fully guaranteed money at signing. This deal negotiated by David Mulagetta of Athletes First is record-setting, and this move is massive. Of course, it's going to have massive ramifications. And here's how this broke down. Uh, the Cleveland Browns were told they were out. That was yesterday. The Carolina Panthers also told they were out, so it was down to the Saints and the Atlanta Falcons, but the Browns never stopped.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Turn Up for What podcast. Talking New Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. It's almost spring in many ways, and uh, I don't know if a new era of Texas football has sprung. Um, probably the biggest news in its history, um, or the biggest move in its history, came to light Friday afternoon. But to try and make sense of it all with me this week, the returning guest, Mr. Matt Weston from Battle Red How are you doing?
0: Doing great. I'm doing great. I'm very uh, honored to be on the Sean Watson the traded episode of the show after the couple of years we've talked to each other.
1: Well, that's. it. I thought we were going to be um, getting some tape heavy conversation about uh, about uh, some of the luminaries that we've picked up, AG Cannon, uh, MG Stewart, and the likes. But um, we've actually got probably the biggest <laughs> the biggest um, news probably story that you'll probably ever have. Um, with his team, everybody always remembers the moments where they were and what they were doing when they heard the news. Where were you, Matt? What were, you, what were you doing when you when the news filtered down to you?
0: Yeah, I wrote about this whenever we had the official Bow Red blog Watson was Trey article because whenever he was drafted in two thousand seventeen, I was driving out to the desert, out to Big Bend National Park to go backpacking, and I uh, the week the way the weekend kind of broke. It was more, I guess, it was better for me to go out to the desert than sim watched the draft all weekend and my phone kind of blew up like they traded up you know we got watson everybody being excited and it was very beautiful like the sun was setting and it was nice and lots of oranges and pinks and purples and greens and I, everything yeah. felt very good at that moment in 2017 and this time i was just trying to you know finish up work for the day working from home staring out my window and it was a lot more uh i wouldn't say it was despairing at all but It wasn't nearly as beautiful as the day he was drafted just from what i was currently doing and and kind of sifting through at the time for a kind of friday afternoon news news dump like it happened 2017 was much prettier with the draft announcement than where i was whenever he was actually traded
1: yeah yeah i was literally walking into a concert um on friday uh and when i saw the compensation i was uh wasn't best pleased if i was honest um i didn't think It seemed, it seemed, well, the first reaction I had is it seemed a bit on the light side um, in terms of the extra stuff back. Because I think people, you know, had had sort of messaged back to me, you know, on the various mediums that they do um, without really, you know, considering what you've said. They just kind of tell you, (laughs) tell you their opinion. Um, But, you know, a lot of them said, well, you can't worry about the other stuff. But I think that's where the, for me, that's where Casario's job came in at that point, because... The three firsts were okay. That was kind of the bar that was set. There was a premium over every other quarterback. Um, and and failing to get the other stuff, failing to even get a player back, um, just felt like we were really shortchanged. And I got a text. Um, and the reason why, I could have taken the Twitter app off my phone because I didn't want to read it. I didn't, I'd spent enough time on free agency, wasting hours, um, you know, looking at all the news updates, as many of us are probably guilty doing. Um, and I got a text to him, I just said, sold a unicorn for beans. Um, and I thought that kind of summed it up quite well.
0: Yeah, and it's, so I think the one thing about it is one of the things I've learned, you know, about this whole Texans riding and following the team sort of portion of it is that most of, I guess like most of the way it works, it kind of operates is that fans want to hear good things about their team because they like hearing good things and they have a lot of personal worth attached to the team itself. Yep. The team is good. They feel good about themselves because their favorite team is good even though they have nothing at all, like they have no actual influence on the team itself. And so, but people on the internet, you know, like on Twitter or whatever else, they want to say things that other people will read and get interactions with. And the best way to do this is to say good, nice things because it makes people feel good and nice to hear good and nice things about their team. And so it's all like based around sentiment, sentimentality, but with sentiment, there's a, like mulling down the truth. You know, you can never be fully truthful if you're having lost sentiment with what you're saying, to be able to you know, make people feel good and happy, and so I think with the Watson trade, you know a lot of the stuff I kind of saw about it was like the Texans had to move them, which is fine, I guess. They got three first round picks, which is fine, I guess. But I don't think Kassari got nearly enough for Watson. I think he was hamstrung for sure by the no trade clause. Um, but I think he could have done a little bit more to play hardball to kind of squeeze a, four, a few more picks and players out of Cleveland to make this trade happen. And also the Browns gave $230 million to Watson after this trade happened. So it's like for a team to commit that much to one player like that, mm-hmm. you would think they would give it more players if you really wanted to push it. And so like a lot of this stuff that I've kind of seen from people is they're just happy for it to be done. They think, you know, Casario's hamstring of the situation, which I think he was to a certain extent, but it's a lot of like, good and nice things to cover up the fact that Houston just gave up a top five quarterback for three first round picks. And that's it without getting any young talent, without getting any players back without getting like a second round pick without, you know, getting much other assets aside from a, the 13th overall pick and then probably some late 20th overall picks. And by the time it's all said and done, Houston's going to get less for Watson than Miami got for Larry Tunsil. If you include the third overall pick, once you do all (laughs) the point numbers compensation for it, but that's what happened here. But in the meantime, we want to feel better about the fact that Houston does have a franchise quarterback. It's finally over and done with, and they got you know probably the bare minimum that you could get with the three first round picks for them for a player of that caliber. And it's still it doesn't feel you know close to enough at all. And I think that they could have done a better job getting more out of him for him.
1: Yeah, and it's like it's like the sentiment of "I'll be what it done." There was no hard deadline whatsoever, and actually, you know, as teams get more desperate you know, did Casario do enough to to let that market fight out between itself? Because I, I read some of the Albert Breer kind of soundings on it this morning and he kind of talked, you know, about all the positives that the, the, the camp saw and the different propositions that each team was presenting. But you think over time, uh, when they, you know, when they pushed the uh, Matt Ryan signing bonus back a couple of days, it looked like he was going to go there. He had two meetings with New Orleans... Didn't happen there, so to 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 go to I mean the cynic and everybody would probably say you went to the Browns because they offered you the most money they offered you a historical guarantee so actually it wasn't about going to win somewhere it was the team that you'd already told that you, you didn't want to sign for because they offered you the biggest check you then you know you you done a one eighty and went to go and play for them so I mean I don't know it's a strange one I think because it feels like the the most powerful agent and all this um, or the most powerful you know individual in all this was the agent and it felt like they just kind of you know played, played time out as it went along waited to the point where they got enough teams interested that they could kind of get Houston to sign off on it but at the same time once again it feels kind of rushed a little bit unnecessary and that whole thing oh well we just wanted it done but you don't get another chance at this you know it's that's it done now, you know, and uh, it feels like it was just short of what could have been. And I think that sentiment's the one that probably frustrates me the most, Matt, is because I've felt that far too many times in the last three or four years that things just weren't handled in the correct way in a professional manner that that got the best outcome for the team. So, you know, it feels like a bit more deja vu yet again, I think.
0: Yeah, of course. And, and like even like the, his decision to go to Cleveland, I think it's going to be hilarious watching him play there. Because he's going to be playing with the set of circumstances that we always kind of went That Houston tried to build for him. They wouldn't have a great run game for Watson. That never happened. They wouldn't have an elite offensive line for Watson. They never even had an average offensive line uh, with all the mm. moves that they made. Cleveland has a top five run game. They have a top five offensive line. He's going to play behind those two set of circumstances. I'm sure they'll add Wolf Fuller there, another good wide receiver too. Yeah. Their pass catchers are pretty good. The other thing too is he's been playing a play action heavy offense as well. Something yeah. that you know we always kind of talked about is that Watson would be great with more play action. He'd be great taking shots downfield. They're gonna do that in Cleveland with the way Stefanoski's offense works. And then also like Cleveland, too, they've been hamstrung by Baker Mayfield being very mediocre. And even playing in a very easy offense, he's been very mediocre with a lot of problems in the pocket and everything else. And so we're going to see Watson play in a set of circumstances that Houston tried to build around him that they couldn't build. Now, we always want to see Watson play in in for a team that didn't give up any players at all. um, And they get to keep their second, you know, round pick and everything else afterwards. So like Cleveland's going to be a top five team next year, probably in the AFC. They should win the AFC North. Watson's going to be really good for it. And he may be suspended for like four to six games. And they, and like Brissett may start in the meantime. And so it's a situation where like Cleveland came out as good as they could with it. And Watson's going to be really good there. And he's been playing in the same circumstances that he never had in Houston after all the resources they sunk to try to be able to put him in an environment like that.
1: Yeah. It, well, it's, I think it's funny because, yeah, on paper, that team's kind of ready made to win. But was it the 10 to seven game, the weather delay game a couple of years ago, uh, or his last season he played uh, when Cronell was was mopping up uh, after O'Brien was fired. And I always remember there was a pass that he tried to, and Will Fuller was wide open and the wind just caught it and it just, <laughs> and it just didn't reach there. So I don't, I don't think he's going to have, uh, you know, the league leading numbers that he had, you know, in, in 2020 before he disappeared um, off the scene, I suppose. And I suppose it's kind of one of these things where you think, and yet, just going back to that point earlier you mentioned about, you know, as you said, people just want to hear nice, good, positive things all the time. But yeah, I think the reality is people maybe need to waken up to the fact that just because Bill O'Brien was a shit show doesn't mean that Nick Casario, by definition, is taking over. Just because he's a qualified professional doesn't mean he's good at these things. I think there's a there's a case to be made now that he's objectively bad at trades. Um, and this is just the latest one It might not be as bad as, you know, shipping off. Uh, Hopkins are only getting a second round pick but when you as you said when you consider all the variables there the tonsil trade expenditure in terms of you know the points jimmy johnson's old old chart if it's still um, if it's still applicable these days is is that uh, it's less value back the equity given um was was not there and i, I think that the question that i i kind of go back to my head matt is you know even if you get all these these extra three, um, three first round picks And if every single one of those guys is a complete baller, um, you know, defensive line, offensive line, whatever might not still be enough to try and compensate for what you've just given away. So, you know, I think it's, it's just feels like a very, very kind of short, short sighted move again, I think. And I just, I, three first round picks sounds great because nobody's really done it before, but there's so many different things that could go wrong about those player selections and what have you. Um, that might not necessarily pay dividends for dividends for you on a Sunday. So it's, it's I struggle to feel good about it. That was I just I I couldn't on mm-hmm. Friday.
0: Yeah, for sure. I completely agree. And and so like even look at what Seattle got for Wilson. Whenever that trade first tapped, and there's a lot of talk that, well, Seattle didn't get enough at all back. They got two first round picks, two second round picks, and they got Fan, who I think has been a really good tight end, who just hasn't had like the statistically, you know, great breakout season. They got Locke, who's you know, awful. And they got defensive linemen as well, too, and Shelby Harris, who's been good at defending past the line of scrimmage. Um, who we've always kind of expected to have like a bigger contract, but I guess just because of his age, it never really occurred. So they got, you know, two good players, two first-round picks, two second-round picks for a mid-30s Wilson who has HDH below at the moment and a worse contract than Deshaun Watson's about to have. And so Houston wasn't even able to get as good of a return that, you know, Wilson got for a deal that that day was kind of mocked as not being a good enough contract too. And so like going back to Casera and this idea of him being hamstrung and him not getting enough for Watson, you know, the one thing that hamstrung him was that Watson had to agree for a place to be traded and that deal would be made afterwards. But it's like, you don't have to trade him. I know they're trying to get resolution to this and get out of it, but it's like, you don't have to trade him at Cleveland. You don't have to trade him at all. And so you can push Cleveland saying like, yeah, I understand he wants to play there and he'll play there but I have to have more than just three first round picks. I need this and I need you know a few other things. And one of the things that's always happens in any sort of trade, it's always like the, like those are always the most important parts, but it's just always strange to how like a fifth round pick or a fourth round pick or getting you know like a backup player that you may not expect to be good at all. How much of a dividend that could play down the, down the line um, that isn't really expected to be like an important part of the deal, but every asset's important. Every asset's you know extremely valuable because you only there's a limited number of resources available to build a team through, and so just the fact of you know, Houston made this trade to get resolution so they can move forward and instead of trying to push this as far as they could to get the most for Watson as possible, and so everybody's happy because it's gone over and done with, but they did not get enough for Watson, and I don't think Casario did a good enough job, you know, stressing and pushing to get the utmost you know they possibly could for Watson. Um, after this trade was, you know, completed, taken care of.
1: Well, yeah, and I think, like, what was stopping them wait till the draft, or, you know, where you could have opened up to four years worth of picks, um, you know, and that may even be just a second round pick, and four years, you know, in the, in the third year after this draft, uh, the, you'd get a, a slate of four different draft sets of picks, but... I didn't see what the rush was at this stage because he's only, it's only since last Friday he's, he's been given the all clear on the legal front sort of thing. The market then generated itself really, really quickly. Um, and I, I don't know why they just didn't take a step back and say, look, ultimately, you know, if, as you said, if Cleveland are willing to pay you $230 million wholly guaranteed, um, I don't know if that's, you know, complete guarantees, I'm not seeing the detail of that yet, but what was the rush? And I, I I failed to see what it was because it ultimately, did he want the picks for this year? Because he's only got one this year, and it's the thirteenth overall pick. So in this draft class, I don't think it's particularly all that great. If I'm honest, it's probably up there with the sort of levels of the twenty nineteen draft class. So, you know, why did he have to pull the trigger? And it was and and it makes you think was there pressure from elsewhere? Um, I know Lovey Smith had some really direct comments about it. Um. Obviously, we've heard nothing from Kelman there beyond a bland statement that came out, you know, as expected. But, you know, I, I don't know what the rush was. And I, I think obviously all the Watson legalities off the field really kind of clouded the story. But I, I, I often keep going back to the, the point I talked about a bit, this, a bit a little bit last week, Matt, was, you know, do you think the Texans will have any reflections on it? Or will they do the same kind of cover up as they did with O'Brien? Oh, they just blamed him for everything, but actually there was a lot more, you know, actors at play in the, in the organisation, particularly the front office that didn't do a good enough job um, and put us in that, that sort of mess. Um, and do you think they'll just kind of, you know, wash it off as the guy who got himself involved and in th- things he shouldn't have done off the field and therefore we traded him? But actually the crux of the reason was not being a functional organisation uh, that could operate in a way that a star quarterback that you'd search your entire history for to be successful they didn't believe you were capable of that because that's the real crux of the problem and I wonder will there be any reflection of that because it's easy to wash it under uh, you know let it wash under the bridge sort of thing for fans who, you know we got rid of the guy who you know had 22 cases against him but ultimately when it's a football context only you know there was a lot of you know organisational failings that, that led us to this point you know obviously that was kind of going in the background but do you think there'll be any kind of adjustments or recognition of things that went wrong or is he just going to get washed in their, in their true style?
0: Yeah, I think with Casaria, the one thing he did say, it's like, unless he hits on these picks, it doesn't really matter what happened, you know? And I think he admitted, you know, if he doesn't have the picks, there's going to be somebody else in his chair. And uh, like, yeah, like that's kind of what it comes down to for his whole career as a general manager. It comes down to what he gets for Watson, which he didn't get enough for. And then the second part is, what does he do with the picks afterwards? And so it's be interesting to see if he holds on to some of he tries to trade back and that part of it. Uh, but like I think Casario does understand, you know, what he needs to do or or not do it in his role. Um, I think he reflects, you know, pretty well. But I think also Casario is one of those guys that over analyzes everything and so it becomes such a jumbled, incomprehensible mess whenever you know he just gives his press conference statements where a simple question becomes a min half long tirade where you don't really know what the answer is to it because it's been. Looked at to such, a, such fine detail when, like, the position's pretty easy. Whenever, like, you like, get down to the basic part of it, the position is mm. get good football players. That's it. That's the whole job of the drill manager, it's to get mm. good football players. And he just has not done that uh, very well the last two years. It's always talking about the culture or the guy's personality or his toughness or how long he's at practice or what time he shows up. When really at the end of the day, what matters is just the talent and the guy's ability to produce. I think he's gone so far in the other direction of trying to find a specific sort of player that he's looking for football players that don't even exist and out there at all whatsoever. Uh, with these like high character, high talent, you know, high intelligence guys where everybody has you know, something that is isn't perfect with them so I don't know I think he does reflect well but I think he over reflects to such an extent that we don't really know like he he go he goes so far into it that he kind of misses what the whole point of his job is at times
1: yeah, well yeah because I think like if you said like if you look at the trades not being good enough two hires of coaches not being good enough management the salary cap we've only just been taken over by Atlanta today in terms of dead cap money because Matt Ryan Somehow they've only given up their second or third round pick to go to Indianapolis, and they've got they've taken on the biggest ever cap hit in the history of the league. I think 43 million million around that kind of ballpark. So you know when you add up every facet, as you said, getting good. The only the only uh, the only lane he's got left is to pick really good players high in this draft because everything else has kind of been subpar. You know and as you said nobody wants to admit that because you know they want to have a a redemption story after you know Bill O'Brien all this kind of stuff, but. I don't think he's done anything. I think we're now at the point, you know, today or as of Friday that you can't look back on the past. You can't blame any of these other, you know, factors anymore. I think we're now past that. You know, we're the the line of demarcation was trading Watson. We've done that. So, therefore, there's no time for excuses anymore. Um, and as you said, I, yeah, I, I have a real kind of concern. Does he know what kind of player he wants? You know, so if he was going to pick at that third overall pick, do you think he's got an idea of who hands the only wants?
0: Right now, I don't really know. I think a lot of the tackle stuff, even if they traded tons, so I think drafting a, ta- a tackle at three overall would have been really stupid because uh, you just put Howard at left tackle and you can always find like, you know, somebody who's competent enough at right tackle, even if you only give heck another shot there, it's not that big of a deal for a rebuilding team. Um, But like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what he what he likes or what he's going to value with that high of a pick. And a lot of it seems to be part of, you know, their interview process and, you know, getting a Texan, whatever it is that, you know, that means to them in their eyes too. But I don't I really don't have a good feel of what they're gonna do at three. I think more than likely they would probably trade down just based off of the New England mm-hmm. approach. But he's done the opposite the last two years with how he's trade picks for players or trade up in the draft too. So I don't know. I don't really have a good feel at all. Feel for what he's going to do at three overall right now.
1: Yeah, I just don't. Think, yeah, I just think it's that philosophy thing. I don't. I don't know where he, he he sees. You know, this team's got 101 needs, and I don't know. I just don't know where he sees the exact type of player. Does he look at Kyle Hamilton? Uh, does he look at Trayvon Walker? And he said, if we get that guy in our in our team, we'll be a better. We'll be a better defensive or offensive side of the ball for it. Um, and I, I don't know if he's as you said. I think it's it's when people are. Or he, he certainly tries to position himself anyway as being, you know, hyper focused, analytical, structured. He uses all these phrases all the time. But actually what the output of that to the rest of us, when we're on, you know, the onlookers, is it comes across as a bit disjointed. Um and I think this trade trading process of Watson was very similar, uh, just as the Lovey Smith hire was looked very disjointed from the outside. And I, I'm just unclear of, of what value he's bringing and I know people don't want to hear that because they you know, it's it's like any abusive or trauma you go through as soon as you move on to something new, it, it feels good just because it's new. But it actually, when you look, look at the, objectively, if you look at all the areas of his job, unless he absolutely nails these first two picks and these guys are, you know, on the pathway to being quality, quality top end starters, this picture of this club, I think Matt, in a year's time could look quite tricky and it's on it's on a bit of a knife edge in terms of where things can go I think right now and um, you're going to have to see results very, very quickly but the Tunsil thing you mentioned there, I, I, I've got no clue for the life of me why he restructured his contract again and gave him all his money up front again this season. You did that last year, the guy quit on you because he had a, a minor hand injury and now you've ch- chosen to do that again this, this offseason um, for a guy who threw the towel in. And I, I, I'm just going to – I struggle to st- see a strategy, I think, is my, my overall point.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And, well, you know, the, the tensile thing I think is a great example. Howard's been – was like 90% tensile as a pass protector, um, was just as good as a run blocker, played his best football left tackle, is on a, his rookie contract still too. Uh, could have swept in there, played very well at left tackle, and they could have traded for a late first or even like a 2023 first-round pick, early second-round pick, and that would have been more valuable than having a guy who doesn't play football hard enough, who doesn't even really want to play football, it seems like, yeah. at times too. Have you ever seen his Protect the Tree sort of you know a Twitter no, thing? No, I can't remember? watch it. I can't
1: watch it, yeah. I, it's, it's, like,
0: you know. it's like, a, it's something, I don't know, it just seems like, something that somebody <laughs> makes in like high school or whatever, you know, with their friends. Yeah. And it just seems like he doesn't care about playing football itself, but whether like football is like this side, how he makes his money and then he'd be this idealized of something. Whenever it's like, you're really good at pass protecting, just do that. Or get mean enough to actually make some, to run block a little bit. But uh, that part of it's kind of frustrating to watch sometimes, you know, regarding Tunsil's performance. And so I don't understand why keeping him around for this upcoming season, for those reasons, I'm sure they could have got some sort of compensation, you know, like that. But it's just maddening to watch somebody with the talent that he has. For everything Houston's given him from trade picks to the contract he's had to the constant restructurings. And it hasn't really mattered that much. And like for this season, Houston's going to have two good offensive tackles and they're going to score like 22 points a game because they can't, they don't score points itself, you know. So I don't really see the added impact that keeping Tensel on this team you know, really does whatsoever. And it it doesn't make sense. But I think Houston has done that, though, where for whatever reason, if it's Jack Easterby or Bill O'Brien or Cal McNair or what, they really have like held on to these guys that they added in 2020 and 2019. Tensel's here. Eric Murray got extended uh yeah, yeah. david <laughs> johnson was the one guy who got kept last It is very obvious he shouldn't be on the team and he struggled last year too and i guess his contract ended so he may not be here but they've held on to these guys that they signed for you know, very strange reasons and it seems like tensile's you know part of that boat um for whatever reason it may be you know
1: yeah and the, the extend i'm not seeing the i'm not seeing the year two guarantees i not need to look this out i've kind of maybe a little buried my head a little bit this week just after friday um but there was no reason, and I know, you, I know you put a lot of clips out and nine times out of ten, I noticed, you know, you and I put probably similar clips out from the L 22 and stuff and try and understand what this team is like on a, you know, in a football level, not all the kind of noise that goes around it. And if you watch Eric Money last season, there was no reason anybody could come up with, apart from that one game in Tennessee in the rain, which he looked okay actually, that could you possibly justify extending them and i i just think it's it's just another strange move i think and when it's and people will say oh well you, you know you're getting too caught up in the the fact that they've signed drift jeff Driscoll, the fact that they've given anthony O'Clair just the best part of a million dollars more than you know max williams or you know or whatever it might be but when you all start piling all these these sort of small questionable moves up the material outcome at the back end of it is quite significant um but yeah, I think sometimes you're, uh, you're pissing in the wind and trying to tell people this all of the time.
0: Yeah. I mean, i Murray last year had two good games and that was more than he had in 2019, but like he got two years, you know, $5 million extra. Christian Kirksey's not good. Malik no. Col- the only good contract decision he made was getting Malik Collins for the contract he had. Cause like Collins is better than Sebastian Joseph Day is and he got better contract than he did. Um, I'm glad they kept Kamu Grider Hill because he had a breakout season. He's like everything that exemplifies what they want a Houston Texan to be. And so it didn't really make any sense off them of to preach these sort of things and then not keep Krujë Hill after the yeah, season he yeah. had last year. Desmond King's not good as an outside cornerback, and Tavier Thomas has made him completely, you know, irreplaceable or replaceable in this roster. And like Desmond King shouldn't be or play outside corner, but they've resigned him because I don't know they have to resign somebody to play that position. And then they added Jox reeves Maybin, who you know, made some tackles in Detroit, but I've never watched him play. I've never heard of him. So I don't know if yeah. he's good or not, but it goes back to just signing linebackers just to sign guys. But they also didn't do things like cut Kevin Perry-Lewis and maybe cut Justin McCray yeah, or cut yeah. Max Sharping or get rid of some of these guys, to create salary cap space for you know, free agents who may actually be good football players who could improve the talent of the team. So I'm just kind of feeling like this year is going to be just like last year. It's going to be a bad team without much to watch for except now there's going to be two first-round picks on it that you can watch every week that will give you some idea of, like, is this guy good or not to add um, some value or entertainment to watching this team. But it really seems like everything's set up for 2023 being really the first year you should care about the offseason, care about the cap space, care about the decisions this team makes, because this year it's going to be, is Davis Mills a starting quarterback? And is pick number three and number 13 overall, are they any good? Because there really isn't much else here
1: at all. Yeah, and the Kevin the Kevin Pierre P- lewis one is generally is 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 worse in the many he ways than most of them. Well, they, well, he didn't play last year, or he he played a little bit towards the end of the year, I think. Um, from memory, um, but I've got no memory of his playing style, what he looks like out there. But, the, but there was actually soundings from the team and people that actually put it out there that they were disappointed with the signing, and the, the word regret was used. But now you've, you know, I know they've restructured his deal and kind of, you know, move, move some money around a little bit. But yeah, I, I just think there's been, obviously this Watson uh, move will overshadow everything. So, you know, in three months time, people won't be talking about it.
0: Yeah, but, well, and even like Pierre Lewis in Washington, he was uh, he he a was bench yeah. for John Bostick. And Cole yeah. Holcomb. And their defense got so much better once Kevin Kevin Pierre Lewis wasn't on the field at all. And he's one of those coverage linebackers you can't cover and wasn't good at Washington. That signed to a big contract. You, I mean, even like we're not talking about like a huge contract, but a multi-year, multi-million dollar contract you should have gotten. Could have gotten off of this offseason, create some cap space to get like, I don't know, a pass rusher or a defensive tackle a little bit earlier on in free agency. Um get somebody can make some negative plays in the front seven and that, that didn't happen at all as well either. So I don't know. I think maybe they're so focused on the Watson stuff. They are not. They didn't really want to make any moves until then. And maybe now that's over, they're going to make some day two, you know, second wave of free agency signings. But so far, it's just been just kind of silly where I don't know what the plan is or what they're trying to accomplish with uh, the re-signings that they've had and, and just the lack of just adding, you know, young talent to the team through free agency or whatever avenues they have available to them.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> it's just just flashed up that they've just, you know, formally confirmed Justin Britt again, who missed a lot of time last year. Um, wasn't good. I remember, well, I know, and I, I actually remember, I can't remember who it was, but uh, one of the contributors out there, and I put a couple of clips up of just he wasn't good. And, you know, the word cooked was used because he's, you know, it gets to a point where so many injuries prevent you from being, I know, a proficient enough athlete to, to contribute at this level. Um, and that was very, very clear, I think, for most people watching him serviceable in the run game pass protection not good enough um so and also he just missed
0: a a lot of blocks because of his brain too like he just had missed assignments and you don't really expect that from a you know an eight-year veteran whatever it is that he is at his age to just like not go to the right gap whenever you're doing half slight protections and that sort of thing and so i i just i couldn't believe that they re-signed him like they did i thought for sure they would draft a center um probably early on or find somebody you know, like Bozeman and for a one year contract to get some depth there instead of keeping him for like a two year. And they gave him a pretty good contract as well, too. And it was just very surprising to see that.
1: Yeah. And it just, it, I suppose, like, I mean, it's easy to kind of throw in the towel, but when you, when you, when you play out all the, all the points, I think, you know, of all the moves they've made is, I, and, you know, it was like when the argument when they brought back Lovey Smith, it was continuity. But, you know, my question was continuity for what? What were you trying to achieve? Because last year was, a heavily penalised team. It was genuinely unwatchable in offence in the early weeks of the year, apart from obviously the six quarters of uh, the flash in the pan with Tyrod. And you wanted to continue that. And I don't know if they were watching the same thing as uh, as everybody else. And I, I noticed and I was made a note to ask you about, you thought they were pumping in crowd noise at the end of the year, but it just goes back to that kind of whole delusion stuff of like, are they watching the same stuff as everybody else? Because... You know, people out there have got a very clear opinion of what's going on. Um, and then everybody else is maybe trying to delude themselves at times to where this is actually headed right now. And uh, yeah, I think it's just, it seems just like when you when you stack all those moves up, it kind of makes you question things. And if it doesn't, I'd suggest you maybe want to have a bit more sort of critical thinking because it's not, it's easy just to believe what people pander to you. But I think there's, you know, when you, strange, strange moves, in the continuity yeah. of last season, I didn't enjoy watching it. And I know a lot of people didn't. So, you know, why would you want to, you know, repeat that again for everybody's benefit or not? You know, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. The funny thing about the Levy Smith hiring too is that everybody was just very happy that he admitted that uh, there, were the fan, there weren't a lot of fans in the stadium. They're like, I'm so happy he admitted to that in fact. It's like, that's how low the bar is right now. They'd be yeah. like, yeah, we don't have a lot of people at the games. By saying that, that's a reason why they're excited for Levy Smith to be the head coach. And like he's just a better version of David Coley. Yeah. You know, he hasn't coached a good football team in 15 years. He got his ass kicked in Illinois. He got his ass kicked in Tampa. He got his ass kicked last year by spot dropping cover two. Um, they switched their defense like more of an NFL defense after, you know, nine weeks into the season, but they weren't a well-coached defense at all. They were all over the place and they were you know, propped up by the turnovers that they forced. And I guarantee you next year, the defense is going to be worse and they're going to force less turnovers and people are going to be surprised. It's just because it's a high variance stat that you don't have a lot of control over. And it's why defensive production varies so much year to year. And so like, I'm not excited to watch Levy Smith this season. I'm not excited to watch Desmond King and Christian Kirksey back out there. Um, Again, it's like, is Davis Mills a starting quarterback? And what can they get out of their, their draft picks this year? Are like the only two things that matter about this upcoming season.
1: Yeah, because I know when they're <clears throat> when they're churning out signings like um, Ogo Ogo Wari, I've never heard of. um, You know, at the at the edge rusher spot. I think when you when you look at the, the signing so far, and as you said, maybe the Watson thing did hold everything back to a point. But you know, I, there, I think you can make at this stage of the offseason. I know you got to go through the draft, right? But rookies take a while to you know acclimatize. You know, they might not necessarily be ready to contribute from day one. I think you know. Right now, it's it's hard to see a picture where this team is going to be materially better year on year, um and it's going to be a very very similar product in, in 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 some ways. Would you Would you agree?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think they'll be worse on defense, probably a little bit better on offense next year. Just considering the fact of like it's gonna be Mills in year two, and the pass protection should be a little bit better. They're still not gonna be able to run the football. Like adding back to like our previous conversation, they were having. They have Royce Freeman. He averaged like 2.7 yards a carry. That was terrible. Like, Burkhead had two good games. Like, I don't mind Burkhead as far as being a veteran running back, but it's like, just get, sign JD McKissick or, you know, sign, bring, you know, just sign a younger guy with some sort of speed. Um, It doesn't matter. Just find somebody. Don't bring back Royce Freeman. There's no, no reason for that at all. But I think the offense will be a little bit better. The defense is going to be worse and they're going to be about, you know, the same sort of team that. Um, they were last year where maybe a few games they're gonna look competent, but the rest of the time they're gonna just get beat up by you know really good football teams like we saw last year too, and there's enough turnovers they can you know win four or five games whatever whatever it comes out to Like you know, I think it's like it's a it's a two year rebuild if we don't consider two thousand and nineteen a rebuild where like two thousand and twenty three is the first year where there's actually some pressure on Casario pressure on him in free agency, and then also like the pixies had the last two drafts will need to be you know, more than like ideas where like Nico Collins wasn't very good, but Roy Lopez was the best pick he had in 2021. You know, Mills is still a question mark. Um, I don't think, I don't think the linebacker they drafted from TCU Wallows can be anything more than a special teams player. Mm. But it's like, I mean, it was like they at least played last year. And so seeing with the other rookie draft class and everything else, it really doesn't feel like much is going to be changing here until 2023 once the cap opens up some.
1: Yeah no I, yeah it's one of those things I think when you when you when you look at the, the you know the complexion of the team ac- across it, it it seems like yeah a similar outcome is going to be you know very and it's it, and it's tough I think and I'm sure you find that on you know you your team of guys that, like it's it's not easy not to talk about the same fucking shit over and over again because it's that there there's still problems and there's still like you know there, there's been no progress um, so you know to try and you know even like. Put, you know, kid yourself on to put a good complexion on that is, is difficult. I mean, the Royce Freeman sign, I mean, at what, at what point watching him, I mean, he, he looked, you know, like slow, you know, that was the only way you could describe him at a, a position where Barst is everything. You brought back a guy who was slow. You brought back another running back that was at Jacksonville last year that you had on <laughs> the run for two years ago. You know, yeah, and it's yeah. just like, so how could how can you ask people... To buy into that And I, I think that And that's what they're trying You know they're, they're selling something here That's so questionable With the signings and personnel You know And it was like a lot. I saw a lot of people saying You know Well actually Casario's only signing You know the, His his best signings Of this offseason Are going to be on other On other teams right now Because you know There was an assumption That they were going to get them In a trade They got nothing back So I think you know Right now this roster Looks materially worse In, in yeah. some ways Than last year mm-hmm.
0: Yeah I forgot Well it's like I forgot about the, uh, the Jacksonville running back signing. I, I don't want to say his name wrong, but it's also the A.J. Cannes signing was absurd too. Cannes never been below <laughs> average. Every year Jacksonville wanted to get rid of him, but they were never quite able to. And they bring in Jacksonville's ex-offensive line coach who never coached a good offensive line in Jacksonville. He had problems developing young talent in Jacksonville, but has a job because he's good friends with Levy Smith and they coached together you know six years ago. And it's like, that's what the entire coaching staff is built around. It's like, do you know Pep Hamilton? Do you know Levy Smith? And if so, you're here now, despite whatever your performance was at, you know, previous stop too. And so I thought the can signing was absurd as well. Um, Ogbo from Los Angeles is just a Jacob Martin replacement. And I will say, I am happy to finally be done with watching Jacob Martin, you know, get his ass kicked in the run game on the edge and have one good pass rush a game uh, and miss sacks and, you know, be able to like, get stopped on a bull rush, stop on a speed rush over and over again, and he'll have one chop rip that works and, you know, he makes a play on the ball. I can't believe he got the contract he got from New York. Yeah, I'm no, excited no. not have to watch Jacob Martin, you know, anymore too.
1: What do you think uh, Justin Reed going uh to Kansas City and also another player who went to Kansas City was Gary and Christian who actually when he's played he was actually a lot better than than the uh, than a lot of the guys on this team but there's just two guys of little walk I mean Justin really never lived up to Did you see his but...
0: hat he wore?
1: <laughs> yeah, what imagine. was that? Yeah. It's like uh, yeah I don't know if he thought it was Halloween or something. What yeah, was that?
0: Uh... He was like Carmen San Diego or something. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't get over the Al- or he reminded me of one of the dogs or one of the weasels in Who Framed Roger Rabbit is what he was. <laughs> I couldn't get over the outfit he wore that day, though.
1: Yeah, it was a strange one. It was. i probably up there with Carson Wentz's like mustard yellow jacket that he wore to the to the to the uh, to the presser. Um, I don't know if there's a Watson presser schedule, is there? Um, I saw that he
0: was going to be there this week, and then he got changed, so he may not be back. He may not be in Cleveland until next week or something, but I assume they're going right. to have some sort of press conference. He may have yeah. some legal stuff going on to get cleared up, yeah. you know, as that goes along for. Do you think he's going to be suspended at all? Uh, and if so, how many games do you think he's going to be suspended?
1: Well, I mean, the the precedent set by the league is, is – uh is incoherent at best you know when you look at the the history of disciplining players for a variety of reasons so will he be suspended he probably should be you know if you think about it you know on you know a level playing field um whether that whole sort of adage of the the time served last year cuz he sat out um but i think from a, a pr point of view i think it would be very difficult for them to do that but you know, I saw a lot of people kind of getting upset about, you know, Watson getting all that money and stuff. But look, this is one of the bi- the biggest kind of like dirtiest businesses out there. It is a marketing machine that will sweep all these people away uh, in this wake because it's just all about, you know, billions of dollars changing hands from fans into owners' pockets. So um, I think mm. they, might, they might give them a, a token 6-8 games or something. Uh, but as you said, he might come back and he might that team might still be good enough to get in the playoffs if he only plays eight games. And then that'll leave us with uh, probably picking in the, the late 20s. So that uh, that pick, the extra pick isn't all that valuable at that point.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what happened, I guess, is the biggest thing. No, that's you know, like he, yeah, yeah. And this one of the things that's hard about it is like, the sheer number of accusations is enormous. Um, But the fact that he didn't face any criminal charges after going to the grand jury, after they saw all the evidence available, you know, like, I don't know what happened. I don't know what the truth is. None of us from our point of views knows exactly what happened all whatsoever. And so I like, just based off of you know the number and everything else, what typically happens, I would think he may be suspended, maybe four games. But this idea mm-hmm. that he's suspended for all of this year and all of next year and the Browns waste their money. That's not what's going to happen. He'll be suspended for a handful of games of that. And he's going to be really good in Cleveland. And it's not gonna, and it's gonna be like I don't know. It's going to be very strange. you know, watching him play in this environment that you know we wanted yeah. to see him play in Houston as well, too, as part of it. But I don't know. I think if he suspends me like two to four games, maybe six at most, and uh, and he'll be back out there playing well. You know.
1: What's uh, what? What's your biggest regret with Watson? If you look back on those four years, it was all too short. Obviously. <laughs> You know, a long period of time waiting to find a guy like that. What do you, what do you think that everybody will look back on and regret the most?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I think, like I know personally, you know, we I've been doing this for a while, and the show we did after they lost Indianapolis in 2018 in the postseason, yeah. or the you know the 2018 season postseason game at home, where their like entire offense was DeAndre Hopkins run down the middle of the field in double coverage, and we're going to throw it 70 yards and hope you can catch it. Like that was like their big idea after you know, having two weeks to prepare for the Colts. But just like that whole season, where they had an all time great run defense. And because of that, their defense was able to match their run defense, master pass defense, because they played teams like Denver with Casey Keenum and Washington with Alex Smith. And so their run defense was so great that they were able to win games 13 to 10 and 16 to 9 with Watson. And then whenever they play against any team that could throw the ball a little bit, they had a lot of problems stopping it, like we saw Sam Darnold in that Jets game, um, like we saw in the Colts games as well, too, that year. And so my, I think the biggest growth with the Watson situation was that after watching them fall down 14-0 or 21-0 in that game, walk up to the line of scrimmage every single time, have zero game plan in place to be able to attack the Colts and make it some sort of a game at all whatsoever at home, uh, not firing Bill O'Brien after that game, I think, is the biggest regret. I understand keeping yeah. him after the 17 season just because the offense was so good for those five weeks and you think there was something to build upon, build upon there. And you know, Watson being a rookie and everything else and his ACL injury. But after seeing what they did in 18 though, with fault starting, you know, 0 3 like they did, um, and their the way they performed the playoffs, their lack of throwing the ball downfield at all whatsoever and not you know working on that aspect of the game to be ready for in the postseason, I think was just completely absurd. And because they kept O'Brien around after that season, they wasted Watson's rookie contract. They didn't do enough to build around it with, the, with free agent additions in those time periods too. They traded all those draft picks, which have mortgaged the future they're in now, for the tensile trade to go all in to lose to Kansas City. And I think a, a lot of this bad stuff that happened would have been prevented if they fired him after that Colts game. And so I think that's the biggest regret by far.
1: Yeah, because if you look at what the Chargers are doing right now, they've just gone spending on everybody. And it doesn't matter because you can always convert it to signing bonus. You can, you know, there's ways around, you know, financial outlay. Uh, there isn't ways around draft picks. Um, you know, they're a, a relatively precious commodity. And yeah, it just all felt like it was never handled all that well. And I think that if if you were to ever think of a a point in time where Watson's, him and the, or his camp certainly... Their view of this organization not doing enough to be successful around them would be, you know, it was completely captured by that that playoff game against the Colts to to be that out of it for long long periods of time in the, one of the early rounds of the playoffs against a divisional opponent uh, was just inexcusable. Um, that was one of the few games I remember that I thought, you know, something have to change. I, I don't I don't think I even got through the fourth quarter. I just went home, and it it was. Uh, it was tough, you know, and I think that was that was probably a moment he thought nobody was looking at it with a critical lens enough to say, actually this isn't good enough, guys, if you want to take advantage of a of a generational transcendent talent. I know people throw those phrases around, but I don't think Watson was far off. I always remember the for the best moments, looking back on it, I think uh the, the Seattle game in Seattle, um was, you know, before he got injured obviously, um, that that following week but yeah, that was some of the best football we watched. And it felt like at that moment we'd arrived a little bit, you know, and it felt like, you know, we've got a real chance here if we can just get a couple of corners, tight ends. You know, we were short of a, a few bits and pieces. Um, but, you know, but they let Dwayne Brown, Brown walk out the building a week later. And, um, yeah, I think that was probably the, the highlight for me or that, that stretch anyway in his rookie year. Uh, but being in Seattle that day, um, that was, you know, I think that, that's a, a sporting experience that'll probably live with me for a long time because it was just so high-octane, fun to watch long passes down field you know uh tr- you know trickery at the line of skim- scrimmage jet sweeps you know so much misdirection you just didn't know what was going to happen it was great to watch um but they never got back to that level consistent consistently um they sort of leant into it again in the 2018 uh, season after they lost the first three games um but it just wasn't consistent or good enough and it was always seemed like there was a you know, there was, there was you knew what he could do well and what the players you could do well, but there always seemed to be that uh, resistance or hesitancy or arrogance perhaps from from the de- former departed head coach that never made all that quite tick and, and be in unison together, I think. And that, that's probably the biggest thing because you knew what the formula was. You just refused to do it at times. Um, therefore, you got suboptimal results. You didn't go far enough in the playoffs. And I suppose the biggest one will always be the Kansas City one because that was just an implosion which should have which should have been a, a reset, you know, drain the swamp type moment. But again, it wasn't. So, you know, and you think if you went back to that moment at the end of 2019 and somebody had stepped in rather than all the crazy stuff that was going to happen, then maybe maybe we could be talking about a different team. I know I've heard you talk about that before, Matt, about a parallel universe out there where this all kind of went, went to plan.
0: Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, that, that sums up, you know, really well too, where it's like there was a reality out there where they were very good and they were a Super Bowl caliber team. And they did the things that you do around a franchise quarterback on his rookie contract, and they just never did it. And like even like the offseason that Brian Gain had before he was fired um, entering the 2019 season, that was an offseason where they didn't spend their free agency money at all to build around Watson's rookie contract. And that was another issue, and they did the same thing the year before that too, where they just didn't put in the, the dollars for it. And there's always this idea floating around. It's like, well, it's very smart for them to do that, because they're building for the future for Watts. It's like, no, he's really good right now. Yeah, 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 you do this right now. And I always love what the Chargers did last year where in one offseason, they rebuilt their entire offensive line. And it cost them like three signings and a first-round pick, and that was it. And now they have a really good offensive line again. Um, Houston spent, you know, whatever it was, four first-round picks, three second-round picks, $90 million, over comes out to, in their offensive line. And it still isn't good. And they invested more into this offseason. It still isn't good. And probably is going to be good this season again, too. And so it's just like it's just a lot of that stuff where you've seen so many teams have success by doing it. And it's a very simple formula. And to watch, you know, numerous people come in and fail at it um, has been you know, frustrating over the years. And you know, Houston didn't do enough for Watson when he was here. Watson was that blame for what happened in Houston just by signing the contract that he did, by not speaking up whenever he had the chance to. By watching, yeah, yeah. you know his teammates be traded for nothing, not saying anything at all, and being, you know, the good soldier, or whatever, sticking it for Bill O'Brien. So both of them are at fault here, and so ending the way it does, like it's still surprising, um, just because you know you saw Cal McNair, you know, reneg on his promises that uh, regarding like choosing the GM and the head coach and then not doing that, which like, you shouldn't do it all, but if you promise it, you have to go through with it, and it's kind of led us, you know, to this point. All these years later but it's just been a mess from from both sides of the equation and a better ownership better decision makers and watson's a really good player for the texans for you know 16 years and also another idea that i heard was interesting was that a good owner or a good you know decision maker group they would hear about the watson massage stuff you know and they would yeah. talk to him and try squash and be like hey you can't be doing this this is a problem or Stop doing this! Like they wouldn't know about. It. And so I'm surprised that part of it never happened in with Houston too, where he was able to keep doing this and doing this, and they didn't know or whatever it was. And even that's like Jack used to be his job is to make sure things like that don't happen. And you know it led to the accusations <laughs> yeah. and everything. Yeah. So it's all it's all been a mess for the last, you know, ever since he was drafted. It's all been a, a, a galactic screw up, aside from the talent, of the player itself. So like I say he's yeah. gonna go to Cleveland. He's gonna be really good there, and the Browns be really good. And it's not going to be surprising at all. And uh, I think Houston's going to feel, you know, stupid whenever they're picking 27th next year, you know.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point, isn't it? If you think of you're a billionaire who owns the premier franchise in the city, well, I'd say the Astros probably are now. I think that's a very close second. you know, not even a close second now. But if you're a billionaire in that environment and, and nobody's got the, or, or you don't have the awareness or you don't have the, the connectivity with the local community, that somebody will even bring that up with you. Even if it's just hearsay, you might want to look into this, by the way. You know, I think you might have a problem with your star guy. Um, let's get ahead of it now and <laughs> and let's try and, you know, save save people from getting caught up underneath it just as much as from a football point of view. Um, you know, I, I how, that, how that wasn't kind of quashed earlier and was allowed to, Proliferate into something which should, you know, has probably ruined a lot of people's lives, you know, and I think, you know, we're talking the sporting context here, but it was, uh, you know, it all went on. As you said, we don't know exactly what went on, but the fact that it wasn't picked up at all um, is, is, is probably systematic of other stuff. Absolutely. Do you think, Matt, finishing up, do you think he'll ever come out and give a detailed explanation or do you think it'll all be kind of hush-hush? Do you think Watson will come out and articulate that, you know, when he retires or you know, and we'll, and we'll see the truth and the fullness of time or how do you think it'll uh, be remembered beyond, you know, the next couple of years?
0: I mean, I think Watson kind of said what he's going to say in his tweet as soon as like March 13th or whatever about, you know, standing. I think I, I'm not going to say it right. I can look at it up real fast, but it was like standing on the truth and, you know, the Lord will set you free. And it's like, he's been adamant this entire time that, you know, he didn't do anything wrong. And, uh, and everything that happened, you know, he's always treated women with respect and that portion of it. You know, so I think that's what he's going to say this entire time. And I think whenever he goes to Cleveland, they do their press conference, he's going to, you know, say that, or he, he said, when you say i the truth, the Lord will free you, is what yeah, he said after that. Occurred. that yeah. right, and so right, I think right, he's right. going to keep saying that I didn't do anything wrong. None of this, this accusation stuff was true at all. It was, uh, if there's just people trying to get money on me, or whatever he's going to word it. And then he's gonna be very excited playing Cleveland because they are a good football team. Like mm-hmm. people have been forgetting that they are a good team because Baker Mayfield is a quarterback and they had offensive line injuries there last year. And he's gonna to go to a good football team. They're gonna be really good and win games over the next couple of years, five years, whatever it is. And um, the whole—I don't know—the whole thing is just gonna kind, of, kind of be. I guess it's gonna be very simple next year. Looking back on it, what happened you know, during this trade yeah. and and everything that's occurred you know, since then.
1: Yeah, I wonder if you will ever come out and talk about the Texans in, in detail of just about how, you know, things that went wrong or things that went, you know, on the sidelines and, and meeting rooms and what have you and why he felt, you know, the ownership wasn't in the right place. You know, when you think of Merciless spoke out, when you think Randall Cobb spoke out, you know, there's, you know, obviously Andrew Johnson tweeted out, hopefully, you know, I'd, you'd like to think one day if anybody's going to learn from it, um, from just a, a purely football context, then hopefully, you know, you, you think... Well actually if you could shed some light on it, but as you said, he'll always be discredited because of the mess he got himself in. So I take it you've not dug into the draft too much. I know you often say you do that later in the process, but it's uh it's the main thing we've all got to hold on to now, I suppose, for the for, for the foreseeable.
0: Yeah, yeah. I haven't I haven't watched much at all. I wanted to at this point, but my own personal life has been, you know, kind of crazy and it's like, do I wanna sit here and do I wanna watch Evan Neal? and then have them not draft him? Or do I want to sit here and watch grainy video of Kyle Hamilton? And I just haven't worked up the, the desire, especially after this free agent period too, where, I don't know, I'll probably just yeah. watch whoever they end up drafting. We'll see them.
1: Yeah. I think, yeah, I think you're better. I've spent a lot of time and hours. I'm not going to get back um, putting in time watching. Yeah a suboptimal quality video trying to understand players uh, without doing the all 22 is really difficult. Um, So yeah, you're probably best holding off until we actually draft them and then you can spend a bit more time focused on it. But, um, but yeah, hopefully we'll look forward to the draft. Hopefully we'll pick up some good players and maybe we can start to see some progress, but um, if we've, yeah, if we put,
0: <laughs> they just need like cornerstone players, you know, yeah. like look in the roster there. Cause like, I mean the way it works with team building is that you build out a really good position group or you find a really good player and then he masks the weaknesses of the players around him. So, yeah. like, if you have a great defensive line, your linebackers don't matter as much. If you have a great secondary, your pass rush doesn't matter as much because yeah. you can't have a you can't have a great player every position because of the salary cap. And so the Texans just need to find the best players available, figure out what they're good at, and then build out the rest of the roster from there. And right yeah. now they don't have a player. You're like, yeah, this guy's been here for a long time. I think aside from Titus Howard, um, but they that's it. You know. And so going off of that, they just need guys that they can actually build a team around and hopefully they find at least one of them in this upcoming draft.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's probably, there's no, no other way you can really sort of, uh, press the reset button without getting rid of a franchise quarterback. So yeah, find an identity and uh, find a way you want to play and we'll find out what that is. But Matt, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it as always. Always good to have you on and make some sense of this cra- crazy team that we've kind of all got ourselves involved with. It. It, uh, it's not easy at times, but appreciate your uh, your candour and, uh, and analysis. It's always um, much appreciated.
0: Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I always in, enjoy doing this. Um, it's a, it's a every single like four or five months you have the chance to come on. I'm always excited for the opportunity to do so, but I think things will be better, you know, probably after this season's over with and this team may be fun to watch game, but I'm just expecting this year to be kind of a slog like last year. And it's just kind of the, the way they set themselves up with all the restructures the year before, but hopefully next year, whenever we talk to each other, it'll be a little bit more uh, interesting and riveting than just yeah. the team is bad. They make, they're doing dumb things and, you know it's bad and dumb forever you know
1: yeah if you can see progress that's half the battle i think but it's not been like that for a long time but uh thanks to matt for his time this week thanks everybody for listening um hopefully you're kind of making some sense of a franchise changing defining trade um but we'll be back again next week um as we start getting ramped up for the draft but thanks again for listening i'll speak to you again soon